Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, the podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm speaking with Linda Stewart-Henley about her debut novel, Estelle. As a lifelong, although never professional dancer, I've always been drawn to the ballet paintings of Edgar Degas, but I never knew that he had family in New Orleans and visited them for several months between October 1872 and February 1873. Moreover, the paintings he did there established him as an artist of note, even though they had nothing to do with the theater or with dance, the subjects for which he is now best known. This dual-time novel, however, opens in September 1970, where the contemporary heroine, Anne Gautier, is inspecting the New Orleans house she has just inherited. At 10 o'clock on the first cool morning of late summer, Anne Gautier threw on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, laced her running shoes, and stepped into the street. She hummed as she jogged the few blocks along Esplanade Avenue under spreading oaks and magnolias until she arrived at the house with the rusting wrought iron gate. As she kicked empty beer cans from the pathway leading to the porch, she noticed that the front door stood ajar. A thread of anxiety twisted down her spine. Surely the contractors weren't working on this day, a Saturday. The raspy voice of the neighbor next door startled her. Morning, Miss Anne, he smiled, showing his yellow teeth. Making progress in there, is they? Yes, they finished repairing the roof last week. Now they're working on the inside. They'll treat the termites first. Uh Uh-huh. Nasty little critters. My place must be full of them. Them and the roaches make a nice pair. He cackled with laughter. You're right there, Mr. Jackson, she said, waving to him as she pushed her front door farther open. She didn't want to engage him in conversation about insects, or anything else for that matter. He was old and strange. And now, please join me in welcoming Linda Stewart-Henley. Hi, Linda. I look forward to talking with you today. Thank you for having me. Estelle is, as I mentioned, your debut novel. How did you get started writing fiction after a career in university administration? Well, I always wrote journals, and I wrote probably a lot of really boring office memos. So I was used to writing, but I never had written fiction. And that only happened after I retired, and my husband started teaching a course in uh, fiction writing. It was really a seminar in fiction writing. Uh, And I learned then that uh, writing fiction is really very different from other kinds of writing. There are all sorts of rules that tend to make the book more resting, better, the plot, development, the characters, the conflict, all these things I had to understand to be able to write a novel. And um, I just got interested in doing it. I took the class eight times, and I wrote... uh, a, a novel of some length, not a novel, sorry, I wrote um, either a novella or a novel each time and, impro- I hope, improved my skills. Estelle was about the fifth novel that I wrote in that class. Well, how did you find out about this period in Degas' life? Uh, what made you want to tell his story or this part of his story? Well, it's really serendipity because I was thinking about the location for one of my stories that I was would be writing for the class and I bought a guidebook to New Orleans. I had gone to college there so I knew the city but I didn't know that Degas had lived there for five months in 1872 to 73. That was in the guidebook 
And I was so interested in that that I started to research it and decided that it would be something to, to write about. Um, that's really how it started. So before we get into the specifics, uh, what made you decide to craft the novel as a dual-time story? What does the contemporary perspective add? Well, um, many people don't know that Degas lived in New Orleans for those five months. And what we do know isn't very much. Um, not very much has been written about it. And uh, there are letters that he wrote during his stay there that are, provide some information, but actually we don't really know much, and he was a private person. So uh, when I looked at the whole, all the information that we had, the facts around his life during those months, I realized that there really wasn't very much of a story. Um, it, it would make it more interesting, I thought, if I introduced another thread to the story, a more contemporary thread that would then create a little bit of drama in the book um, as, uh, the, as a protagonist in the 20th century tried to find out more about the girl in, as she knew that he was a, a neighbor of her, her family's. Um, she had uh, ancestors who lived in the same street and knew Degas. So I just thought it would make the, the story more interesting. Um, and also, I wanted to provide a little bit of a contrast to women's lives in the 19th century as opposed to a woman's life in the 20th century in New Orleans. I will say that that element really worked for me, and I'm always a bit wary of dual-time stories because so often the contemporary story is not, it can't possibly be as dramatic as, you know, say someone who's caught in Vienna in the middle of World War II or something like that. But here it really did, uh, I think in part because Degas' story is very much a domestic story, um, which is an interesting contrast. And so actually the I don't want to say that there's more drama in the contemporary story, but there is more um, open conflict and things like that. Um, so the Degas is a, is a really nice contrast to that. Yes, well, I was actually very careful to avoid adding drama to the Degas part of the story, the 19th century part, because I really didn't want to sensationalize this man's visit and make up things about him that are uh, just pure speculation. Of course, I had to imagine a lot of the scenes and the dialogues and relationships with his family and all of that. But I tried to base them on a known fact about the characters so that what I was saying, what I was writing about, uh, the way I told the story, didn't really seem inappropriate. And I wasn't just trying to use gratuitous drama, if you want to put it that way. Yes, I think it really worked. Um, so since the book starts with Anne Gautier, let's start with her as well. Uh, who is she and what are some of the issues that she's facing? Well, Anne is 22 years old and she's just graduated from college and she has inherited a house. This is a house that is on the same street as the house that Degas family lived in a uh, hundred years earlier. So that's not really a very normal kind of protagonist. You don't normally have 22-year-olds who inherit historic houses. But since she was an artist or wanted to be an artist, she wanted to preserve the house to make it uh, her, her artistic contribution. She wasn't very sure that she could develop a career as an artist. She was aware how difficult that would be. But she thought she could at least preserve the house. 
and she was able to uh, obtain money to do that because she had uh, to renovate the house rather because she found a notebook that belonged to Degas in the house, which was sold for a lot of money. So she's got her usual um, issues anybody would have at 22 of trying to start her adult life and decide on her career path and decide whether she wants to get married right away. In those days, in 1970, most women were actually encouraged to get married. So she had to decide whether she wanted to just go that route or try to develop a career and whether she could do uh, something with her art. So those are the things that the, the the problems she was facing, not really problems, just life, life, normal life events, I would say. So her boyfriend, Sam, is, how should I put this, uh, less than satisfactory in some ways. Um, this is, and boyfriend, Sam, of course. Uh, talk to us about him, who he is, what appeals to Anne about him, and what worries her. Well, Sam is the sort of man who a young woman in their 20s would be happy to to be seen with. Um, Anne had some insecurity uh, regarding her relationships with men. She really didn't have many boyfriends. And when she was in college, she gained weight. So she, she really, she didn't have boyfriends. So when she met Sam, who was a curator at the, at the museum in New Orleans, not only was she interested in him because he was interested in art, and helped her with her own discovery of the notebook that Degas had, of Degas' notebook. But she found him a role model in a way and a mentor. And he was attractive and he supported her and helped her with her internship at the museum. So he appealed to her um, in many ways and for many reasons. But in fact, he was mysterious and not really very straightforward. And she realizes this, but she ignores it for probably far too long, not wanting to give up on what she, the relationship that she enjoys. So um, you've learned more about Sam as the book goes on. So I can't really tell much more at this point. No, I don't want you to give away spoilers, but, um, you know, she is only 22, as you mentioned, and he's a bit older, right? I mean, not tremendously, but enough that he's much more established in his life. 10 years older. Mm -hmm. That's quite a bit. And so it's not really surprising that she would doubt her own feelings uh, if they're telling her to, or even her friends, you know, there is this kind of thing at 22 where you want to make decisions even if you're not really quite competent to do so yet. Right, right. So, and how would you describe Anne as a character, a personality? Uh, What drives her? Well, um, I think Anne is not really very well formed when she when we meet her in, at 22. She's rather confused and so feels rather overwhelmed with all her choices. Um, she's privileged, I won't deny that. But even so, she's trying to do the right thing. She's trying to make good decisions for her life, and she's not having an easy time with that. So, what drives her really is. Oh, at the bottom of it all, I think she's an artist. She was an art major in college, and a lot of artists really never give up on that. I mean, even if they don't think they can succeed, they never lose the sense that they want to paint something or create something beautiful 
or preserve something beautiful. It's, it's a kind of a drive that uh, artists have. Maybe others have it, but certainly artists who have a need for, a strong need for self-expression. And I think that's what it is with Anne, mostly. It's really she's interested in, in, in somehow making the world better in her own way. You have a family tree at the beginning of the book uh, with the Moussa and Degas families, um, which are quite overlapping. Um, I was very grateful for it when I was reading. And although I'm not going to say what the connection is, I will mention for listeners that there is, uh, once you get really into the story, this, the family tree is, is useful um, as an explanation of, of certain elements of the story. Um, what made you decide to include it? Well, I think to help myself initially, because when I was writing a story and trying to learn about the various people, members of Pigal's family, I got confused because there are 13 of them that live in that house in uh, New Orleans when he comes to visit. 13. There's actually a 14th who lives in the French Quarter. So there are all those family members, and they're all either directly related to him as uh, brothers or cousins. Or, and also his uncle is there. So these family connections were just not easy to keep straight. And since those, all those people were in the house at the time that he visited, and since he painted many of them, I wanted to make sure that I had them in the book. So I just thought it would be too complicated for people to keep track of these, these people if I didn't have a, a chart to make the relationships clear and also to show that the Degas side of the family, Degas Moussan's side, was actually the historic character. Those were real people. And on the other side, the family of Anne and Gautier, that was, they were all fictional. So I wanted to just make sure that, that was, those two branches were really clear. And I think the chart helped with that. The uh, older part of the story begins with Edgar Degas. Uh, arriving in Louisiana uh, in October 1872. What brings him there from Paris? And how much does the New Orleans family know about him when he arrives? Um, Degas had been curious about New Orleans for a long time, um, many years before he arrived, partly because his mother was born there. And so there were family connections. He actually even owned property. Somehow he'd been willed some kind of property there in New Orleans never saw it. And in fact, I don't think he ever did anything with it. They had to sell it at some point. But he had his brothers who had already moved there to visit and all those cousins who he had already met because they had come to Paris earlier. Um, many, there was a lot of um, back and forth traffic between Louisiana and Paris in those days because Louisiana was still largely French. And French was spoken at that time. So uh, the travel was, even though it was difficult, was relatively frequent. And so Degas accompanied his brother René back to New Orleans. His brother René had been there for business reasons and urged Degas to come back with him. So that's why he went there. And because the family had already met each other in Paris, they all welcomed him, and and he was a great celebration when he arrived. So the Estelle of your title is actually Estelle Moussandega, um, 
she's married to Rene, whom you just mentioned, Edgar's brother. And where are they at this point in their lives? All right. Um, Rene, Edgar's brother, had married Estelle rather quickly, actually. Um, he followed her to New Orleans after her visit with her father and sister. He followed her back to New Orleans and decided he wanted to work in the cotton business. Um, her brother, her father owned a cotton business. And her father, Michelle, actually needed some men to help him run the business because he only had daughters. And in those days, daughters didn't work in such things. So uh, Renee married Estelle. And um, at the point that the story starts in 1872, they had been married for three years and they already had two children with one more child on the way. So Edgar and uh, Estelle uh, seem to hit it off. Uh, how would you describe their personalities as you envision them and their relationship? All right. Um, this part is well documented, um, the relationship between Edgar and Estelle. Edgar, who actually had a reputation for being rather misogynist and in many ways not a very pleasant person, was genuinely moved by spending time, time he spent with his family. Um, it must have conjured all kinds of reactions, um, nostalgic ones, remembrances of his mother who had died when he was 13, that sort of thing. But the other thing that really helped with uh, two of them was that Estelle had problems with her vision. She'd already become blind in one eye, and not long after Degas left New Orleans, she was going to be blind in both eyes, in the other eye too. So he had eyesight problems himself, not to that extent, but he was, was extremely sympathetic to her, if only for that reason. But beyond that, Estelle was a, a fine person by all accounts who who made light of her difficulties, uh, was quite bold and gracious throughout everything, and had many misfortunes, misfortunes which he managed really well. And so I think there was reason why he would respect her, and he did respect her, and he genuinely was sympathetic, and her, his portraits of her show that. She is a very appealing character. Um, she's exactly the kind of person you would like to know in real life, I think, which is so often not true with um, fictional characters, but of course she's not really a fictional character, she's historical. So her sister Desiree also has a prior relationship with uh, Edgar Degas. Um, what's that about? Um, well, Desiree, when she was younger, was considered a beauty. Um, she was a French Creole young girl um, in her 20s when um, Edgar met her in Paris. And... Uh, she, he also, he painted her there. Apparently, very few paintings remain of the, of that he did of her there, but he did like painting her hands. Some of those remain a little bit. But um, there was some talk and gossip about that he might have had a relationship with her in Paris or considered having a relationship with her. And also in New Orleans, he did make comments about the fact that it was time for him to get married and that it might be nice to have some children. Those are things that people hardly believe because he never did marry. And 
and people don't even, some people even speculate he wasn't interested in women, but there's no evidence of that. He just was an artist, preferred his own company, and and just wasn't able, I don't think, to give a lot of time to someone that would get in the way of his heart. There is also a young girl, and based on what you just said about the family tree, I'm assuming that Marguerite Fontenot is actually a fictional character. Um, but she's just making her debut, and she attracts Degas and is attracted by him. Tell us about Marguerite as a character. Well, Marguerite was really a, a device of sorts, um, because, um, because Anne discovered her diary. Um, Anne was able to learn a lot about Degas and his connection with her family in 1872 to 73. So Marguerite's story is its own little subplot, if you like. Um, but it adds a bit of interest to Degas' character, I think. And um, I don't want to go into it too much because, again, I'm not going to spoil the story, but Marguerite, there's only, there are actually only three voices in this story, three points of view. Um, we're never in the head of Degas, or and, uh, we're never in any other character except Anne, and then a little bit Marguerite. So, in a way, you get to see the world of 1872 through Marguerite's eyes. Tell us a bit about New Orleans itself. Um, what was it like in 1872, and what is the same region like, uh, region of the city that is like when Anne uh, encounters it by inheriting this house? It's quite different. Yes, it would have been different. Um, New Orleans was really struggling in, in 1872. Uh, it was only six, seven years after the end of the Civil War, and there's a time of chaos, really, for everybody. Um, the, the town was recovering from, really, the end of the cotton trade, which was one of its main industries. Um, you know, there's no cotton was not being picked anymore. Um, the market went down. There were various reasons for that. But a lot of the wealthier people in New Orleans, like the the Mousson family, actually, Degas' relatives, they relied on cotton for their business, for their livelihood, and that changed. Um, the uh, carpet baggers were everywhere. They were just really self-opportunists interested in themselves and their own profits. Um, so society was changing dramatically at that time. Um, in, 18, in 1970, of course, um, it was completely different. It was um, a, a, not really a thriving city. New, New Orleans, in the end, became more of a place supported by tourism than anything else. But it has all its wonderful culture, so it's certainly attractive. Uh, people like going there. And um, the, the, uh, the interesting part that I think I thought interesting about, about that part of the town where I focus the story, Esplanade Avenue, is that in 1872, Esplanade Avenue was the street for the French Creoles. Um, St. Charles Avenue was another fine avenue, but it was mostly occupied by American people, not by the original French Creole aristocrats. Um, so Esplanade Avenue was beautiful architecturally in 1872. Uh, but by 1970, it was um, almost a wreck. I mean, it just 
deteriorating buildings, high crime, um, not a desirable place to live. And so when I when I said the story in that time, Anne was Anne's house that she inherited was in that in that condition, very run down, and so she wanted to restore it to the way that it had looked to the, its former glory, if you will. I mean, these houses were gorgeous. And so she did, she did that. And that also brought in another of my sub-themes, which had to do with the subject of urban renewal. And urban renewal was really in, going on in the 1960s and 70s in New Orleans. It was just massive projects. Uh, buildings were taken down, some of them very historic. And um, they were just clearing whole areas of history, like the Trinime district, which is where people like Louis Armstrong grew up. Um, they just they just basically rabble, uh, took down the buildings there, and didn't put anything up that was was there was any in any way beautiful. So, so uh, and then of course there was homelessness created by the urban renewal. So I, that was just a theme that sort of ran through, and as Anne became aware of this. She had her own ways of dealing with it. Um, so I thought that would be interesting, too, how much difference a century makes in a in a city like New Orleans. Yes, it was an, another element about the two stories that made it, um, that kept sort of a tension um, between them, which I really liked. So as you mentioned, Degas starts out by painting family portraits, and he starts out, at least in, in this book, by painting... Uh, the women and children, including Estelle. And, um, but what causes him, I mean, how does he approach the, the project of, I mean, why does he decide to paint family portraits to start with rather than, say, New Orleans, where he hasn't been before? And then um, what causes him to shift to painting his brothers in the cotton office? Well, um he he did first of all he really didn't want to paint new orleans as such even though he was in absolutely intrigued by it um it was very exotic to him because it was so very different from anything he'd known in paris but he wasn't a landscape painter and that's one of the, the characteristics of him that makes him not even in some ways an impressionist because the impressionists tended to paint outside that was their and, and and landscapes were their main subject matter. Since he had this problem with his eyes, the light bothered him, and that was one reason he didn't paint outside. Most of his paintings are interior scenes. So when he painted the family portraits inside, that was just in keeping with what he was able to do there. Um, and uh, he he did a number of portraits, but didn't really think they were worth anything. Um, Eventually, he painted the Cotton Office, which actually was simply another series of family portraits because his two brothers, his uncle, his brother-in-law, all those people were represented in the painting. It was actually a scene of them at work. So he did that painting partly, I think, because he hadn't yet painted any of the men. He painted women up until that, that time, individual portraits mostly. But this was a larger painting with all these people there and, of course, with the cotton business. So he, 
he actually felt excited about this painting. It was the only one he did while he was there that he thought was really worthy, worthy of anything. And it did turn out to be a painting that got a lot of attention when he went back to Paris. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, the critics of the time considered a cotton office in New Orleans to be his, what we would today call his breakout work. Um, and it's interesting because we, for us, he's so associated with the Paris Opera and the, the ballerinas. And yet uh, this was the one that actually put him on the map and got people. He'd already been doing some theater paintings by then, but this was the one that, that actually catapulted him to a certain kind of fame. So do you have a sense of what makes this painting uh, of his brothers such a landmark in his career? Oh, yes, a bit. Um, it's hard to understand it from our perspective now, but in the days of, uh, in those days, in 1872, 1873, um, America was viewed by Europe as a, 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 really an enigma. But the French especially admired the American business, their entrepreneurship that was possible there. And many French people came to New Orleans as well just because they thought they could make their fortune there. They considered it a, a country uh, with plen- uh, enormous opportunities. So this painting, when the people saw it, actually it, it answered some of those questions. They saw it as an example of American industry. American business and an appeal for that for that reason. Now, interestingly, it didn't have the same appeal in England. Um, when Degas painted the Cotton Office, he thought he was going to be able to sell it to uh, a dealer in England, and he thought it would appeal because the so much of the cotton that was um, in, so much cotton was exported from New Orleans to England because they had cotton textile mills, and they um, had a lot, a very big industry going with cotton in England, and they relied on America to send their cotton. But after the Civil War, when the cotton supplies ceased to come anymore, then that whole industry declined, and so, not surprisingly, people in England weren't really too interested in a depiction of a cotton office. So he never was able to sell the painting in England, but when he exhibited it in Paris, the second Impressionist exhibition there, people liked it, and um, it generated a lot of interest, and eventually he sold it to a museum in Pau, in France, near the Pyrenees. It was the first painting that he ever sold to a museum. And that's a really fascinating answer, because... I had, I guess, sort of subconsciously assumed that it was because this was a more realistic painting and Impressionism was in the early years wasn't that popular or something like that. It would never have occurred to me that the decline in the cotton trade itself might make it less popular in England than in France. So that, thank you. That's a new perspective. That's historical. That's not in the painting. <laughs> but you want. It does answer the question, I think, one reason why it was different and one reason why it stood out. No, no, I, I understand. I mean, we're, we're just, um, we're comparing explanations here. It's just an explanation I hadn't considered, and therefore it's interesting to me. Is there anything or anyone else you'd like us uh, to tell our listeners about before we're done? I just hope people enjoy the story. That's it. So what would you like readers to take away from this book? Um, I think 
one of the messages would be the fragility of culture, how easily it's lost in time, how easily great works of art, artists, people are lost in time. And it actually takes uh, some kind of visual representation of things to keep them alive quite often. Um, even even uh, even things like um, Degas' family. We never would have known anything about them if he hadn't painted them, really. And Estelle, we never would have known about Estelle. So he painted them, the paintings were hung and are seen and enjoyed by people. And that brings people to question more about where did they come from, who were these people, and that helps keep, keep culture and history alive. I think that's really important. And the same thing with some buildings. There are some buildings that are worthy of preservation, and I think that's another part of the story as well. This novel has just come out. Are you already working on something new? No, I won't continue this story. Um, I need a I need a break from this, <laughs> but I've, I am having a new book published um, in the spring of 2022. It's not historical fiction. It'll be contemporary fiction, and it's a completely different kind of story, but I hope it's a good story. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Linda. It's been really a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation as well. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I'm C.P. Leslie the host of New Books and Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Linda Stewart-Henley about her debut novel, Estelle. Find out more about her at www.lindastewarthenleyauthor.com. That's all one word. Like us on Facebook, search for NV Historical Fiction, and follow us on Twitter at New Books Histfic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can find out more about me and my books at www.cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.